namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasam namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasam namo tassa to arahato sammasam buddhasa My Dhamma friends, I'm going to talk about freedom from fear. Is that familiar? Is fear familiar to you? <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, we are going to see how we can meet fear with mindfulness, effort, and wisdom. I'm going to give you some ways to work with it in a skillful way. So we're going to see what's fear, uh, what's the cause, and uh, what's the opposite of fear, which is courage, and 10 ways of dealing with fear. Sometimes it's said in Theravada tradition that, uh, uh, in general Buddhism, that we don't have God, but we have lists. <laughs> Actually, I wanted to give a comprehensive list, but I I was afraid of causing spiritual indigestion. (laughs) So we are going to limit it to 10. And it's just adding up five of these, five of these, and it comes to 10. Here we go. I don't know about you, but fear has been in my, in, has visiting me, has been visiting me a lot in my life. Mm, so, one a good example of my fear is when I became a monk in 2002 at Tatagata Meditation Center in San Jose, California. And uh, it's a Vietnamese temple. Burmese monks are there. And we have many participants who are attending English. Uh, Dhamma talk was given in English, but it had to be translated into Burmese and then in Vietnamese. So just then, as a monk, you sit in front there, the teacher is sitting here giving a talk, and there's a translator. So half of the time, you don't know what's going on, actually. And you have pain. I'm telling you, I had a lot of fear of pain, to the extent that I was not even listening to the Dhamma talk. Every time, my mind was saying, when is he going to end the talk? When is he going to end the talk? I was just looking at the time, all the time. And for the teacher, Sado Sidananda, he was just going on and on. And he, a little bit, he would shift a little bit his leg like this and continue on. I, I was really thinking that I'm going to burst into pieces. <laughs> it was so painful. And what made it painful that half of the talk, I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> and when the English part, I say, oh, yeah, that, I, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but then it goes into Burmese. No single word, you know. 
Well, uh, let us give examples of some of the fears we face during this retreat or in our life. Maybe it's fear of uh, not good enough. My practice is not good enough. Have you heard about bad yogi, good yogi? Yeah, I'm a bad yogi. But here there's no bad yogi. Because I told you last time there's one thing you can't miss here in Anicca, that everything is impermanent. You can't miss that inside. Whether you are going through pain, whether you are having lots of metta, whether you are having lots of compassion, whether you are having impermanence and mindfulness and wisdom, you are not going to miss this teaching. And that's what the Buddha said, that it's, it's good to spend one day seeing impermanence of the five aggregates than spending 100 years without seeing it. So, fear of being judged. Hmm? Especially when you come to the interview, oh, sorry, practice meeting. Maybe you might think that, oh, maybe the teacher is judging my practice. At least it was for me when I was in Burma, and it, I was told this monk called Sado Pandita, as soon as he opened the door, he will, he will, get, he will know whether you are mindful or not. <laughs> that scared me. And you would open the door like this, and when you reach that down, you would bow down with mindfulness and not missing a single moment of mindfulness. And then because we are monks, we have even to make sure that our robe is put on properly because that will show that you are not mindful. So we are worried of what we are going to say to the teacher. We are worried about bowing down. We are worried about robes. And they say, this person might be judging me really whether I have enough mindful or <laughs> mindfulness or not. I remember I was in Tatagata Meditation Center. He came from lunch, and I was doing walking meditation near the house. And when I heard his coming from behind, I decided to be super slow, <laughs> knowing that he knows that I'm not walking manfully. And a lot of fear, really, that somebody's seeing me. I don't know about you, but I had that one during the retreat. Fear of failure, not getting the instruction properly or practicing in the wrong way. But don't worry about that fear. You have teachers here, <laughs> they'll track down. <laughs> if you, you tend, We listen actually to what you're talking and when we see that you're kind of <laughs> getting off the road, <laughs> we just say, okay, please. <laughs> That's pretty much what we're doing. <laughs> Sometimes we feel that you're just on a straight road. We, we don't say anything. We just maybe encourage you, try hard or something like that. Fear of fear itself. Fear of loss, blame, and pain. This is very common. Fear of change. And uh, you can put, add on the list, whatever fear you have. Fear of inadequacy. Not doing enough is, I think, the most common one. Maybe some of you also are afraid of seeing the teaching on non-self because you came with the self and now all teachers are talking about non-self. Maybe you're afraid that now where is my self that I came with? 
maybe I, I'll go back home and they, they ask me, oh, you know, what, what this business of non-self teaching? So maybe you're afraid even to explain what's uh, happiness, what's the experience of non-self. Fear of letting go. So we can go on and on and on uh, listing our fears. But fear, what it is, is aversion towards or aversion to the present danger or threat. It's emotional reaction. Sometimes uh, it's this emotional reaction to real danger or perceived danger. Hmm? You perceive there's going to be something dangerous and then you have fear. One time on the internet I read somebody uh, who wrote about the acronym FEAR that uh, false evidence appear real and that's <laughs> what they wrote false evidence appear real and for me I can relate to this in Africa when you travel in Uganda at night you see a rope and you jump you say wow this is a snake and now you t- you once you, g- you bring a flashlight only to find out it was a rope but the fear that you go through <laughs> really thinking that is a snake it's just amazing and you find out it's a rope you just kick it get, get out of my <laughs> recently even i had a visit actually who knew that there's snakes because we we are near forests and said do you, do you have snakes there? I said, once a while. And sure enough, <laughs> there was a rope, <laughs> and she jumped. I said, no, it's not. But this is how we perceive things, you know. We perceive things. I remember when I was a, uh, a scuba dive instructor in Thailand. For a couple of years, I used to work as a, a scuba dive instructor. Not when I was a mom. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> <laughs> before I became a monk. <laughs> and I told people from around the world, I remember these Japanese people coming. The first thing before they sign a dive, they would tell me, do you have a pen and a paper? They, they would draw a shark with teeth like this. <laughs> they, they pointed, do, they, do, do you have sharks? They were so afraid, really, before signing up for a dive. And I said, don't worry. We don't have sharks. They are vegetarians. <laughs> we have vegetarian sharks. <laughs> actually, one time I took a, a Japanese diver, and so actually it was Italian, and we saw a whale shark. She did like this, and said, let's go up. <laughs> it was this huge thing, actually, in the water. She was so afraid. Luckily, we managed to make it to the to the top safely. It was so afraid. But anyway, back to the Japanese. <laughs> they would draw these sharp teeth as if it was a real shark. I told them there are more accidents. Coconut hitting your leg. I mean your your head. Two hundred fifty cases per year. Of people who go to the beach, they're afraid of going to dive, <laughs> they just on the beach, and coconut fall on the head. 
We had only six cases only related to diving. And that was no shock. It was most of the people had some kind of um, like boat people, they would just go for diving without any person and they get kind of bends and all that. So six cases in a year compared to 150 cases. So I said, I told these people, relax, don't worry. And then we went diving, of course, and they loved it. So really, sometimes the fear we have is just our perception. There's no danger, actually. But the way we perceive things to be dangerous, that um, becomes a problem. There are two kinds of fear that we can look at, at least today. One is wholesome fear. Another one's unwholesome. Wholesome fear is what we need to cultivate, but this is called hiri and otapa. Hiri, the Pali word, and otapa. This kind of fear is qualified as moral fear. We put the word moral fear or moral, and moral dread. This the, uh, fear the Buddha told us we should cultivate. This is the fear of uh, breaking the precept, fear of causing harm to oneself, others, and both. And uh, as for otapa, which is moral dread, is actually fear of the consequences. Fear of the consequences. Uh, let's say, what will be the consequences if you kill uh, an animal? Or what will be the consequences of touching fire? What are the consequences? Of course, it's, uh, it leads to suffering for yourself, others, and both. So if you, you have what you call moral fear and moral dread, it's okay. We say, it's on wholesome side. But there's that kind of unwholesome fear that uh, the Buddha say we should really uh, work with, it, with this kind of fear in a very skillful way because it leads to more fear. It leads to aversion. It, it leads to greed. It leads to anger you know, when we are afraid. So you can list, let's say for instance, on an on unwholesome side, let's say fear of unknown. Fear of unknown. Is it wholesome or unwholesome? <laughs> and I think in life we are, we are afraid of the unknown. It's because we don't know anything and then we're afraid. Let's say, I say, let's go to Antarctica. I'm telling you, you'll be afraid. Some of you, anyway, not all of you. But the reason why you would be afraid is because you don't know. It's the fear of unknown. And there's a lot of unknown things in life. One of them is death. Actually, if we know what happens after death... I think we will not be afraid of death. Hmm? We will know precisely from moment to moment, <laughs> from the time you make the transition 
they will tell you, okay, no, you will see the wonderful people, you have a first a cup of tea, or <laughs> people will welcome you, and these are the people whom you love so much, and you have a wonderful house. I mean, if they tell us exactly, I think that we, we should really go out of that mystery, you know, and then maybe we welcome fear. I mean, uh, death without fear. But because it's a big unknown, a, ch- a big chunk of mystery there, then there's a lot of fear. So we have to look at what's really motivates, what's, the, what's behind all this fear. Is it because ignorance? I don't know anything. Is it because of aversion, uh, fear? Or, or is it attachment, Let's say, uh, fear of separation from loved ones? Is it because of attachment? Actually, also fear of death, natural death. We are talking about fear of natural death. Maybe it's also attachment to our body. But of course, whether we are afraid of death or not, it will happen. <laughs> That's why I like the reflection. Uh, it's called mindfulness of death. And the reflection is like this. Life is uncertain. Death is certain. Most of us actually will live our life taking uh, things in the other way around. We think that <laughs> uh, death is uncertain and life is certain. But we, we see all the time that life is uncertain. Death is, is what's certain. Origin of fear, where does it come from? It's also very good to find out. That's the second noble truth. Where does fear come from? Winnie gave a wonderful talk yesterday about <laughs> what we think we are, the history, the culture, everything that really makes us, it's really condition of the past. Tikinatan really gave a very good article about how fear begins at birth from the time we are born Imagine from the time we are born, as soon as we are born like this, ah, you open your eyes and all this bright light. It must be scary. I don't remember, by the way. Uh, maybe you remember. But for me, when I'm sleeping and some, all of a sudden somebody turns on light, whew, wow, I get so startled, you know, scared. You know. But what about a baby? You know? So it must have been scary. What about a touch? Somebody touching the doctor or the midwife for the first time. It must have been rough. So that also scary. What about uh, the hearing? I mean the sound. <laughs> Good luck if the hospital is somewhere in a rural area. But if it's in, in a city, <laughs> all the sirens and all the things, and you're born the first time you hear all this noise, it must have been scary. Scary. I remember one time I had wax in my ears and I could not hear properly in Uganda. We went to a hospital and they really cleaned my ears. I'm telling you, I was so tormented by the sound because my new ears, brand new ears, I was hearing just about everything and it was too loud. In fact, I remember just going in town doing like this all the time. 
And I'm an adult who has been used to hearing. But what about the baby listening the sound for the first time? It, has, it must have been a lot of dukkha. And that, in fact, that's a trauma we go through in our lives from day one. Talk about looking at strangers, you know, all these doctors, strangers, and nurses. I mean, it must have been scary. <laughs> Can you imagine all the people you have on your Facebook? They show up. <laughs> all the time you have all these Facebook <laughs> friends, <laughs> and you really communicate. <laughs> but if a hundred of them show up, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> How will you feel? You're an adult, but maybe not. You say maybe... Not this time. <laughs> Maybe you can postpone your visit, you know. It's it as if Facebook, we have so many people we cannot face. <laughs> so the baby must have been uh, uh, scared also. Even breathing for the first time, the first breath, it, has, it must have been scary. That's Tiknatan giving some insights. The Buddha tracked down craving uh, uh, fear. The, the cause of fear is craving. From in the Dhammapada, he talks about from craving, endearment, passion, attachment, greed. From that, those kind of mental state arises fear and grief. So, where there is no craving, where is fear? So, that's how the Buddha tracked it down from attachment. There is some kind of original fear coming from aversion. What we don't want brings a lot of fear. I think of all the things I don't like during meditation is pain, both emotion and physical. I do everything to dodge it, at least from the time I did a long retreat in 1999, sitting there, that empty seat somewhere there. I told you last time, in 1999 I was sitting there and then a lot of pain was coming. And the, no, the best way I navigated that pain was to put a cushion after one cushion. And I think I was the tallest yogi. <laughs> and the yogi knocks to me until he was removing. <laughs> was put sitting on a bare subtone like that. And for me, I was just adding more and more. I had a lot of fear towards pain. And when I looked behind it, it was my aversion towards that pain. And when I looked back, where has that pain come from? It reminded me when I fell down, when I was very young, and break my hand turned like this, and I went to this chiropractor and pulled my hand like this. The pain I went through, it was such a, an excruciating pain. And that was the pain I was really bringing in my life on a cushion. <laughs> wow, it's going to be painful like how it felt many years ago. It's amazing how we carry, I, I mean, how we bring these things to our memory. These things happened many, many years ago when I was young. But here I'm on a cushion and pain is coming 
I was just remembering the past pain. But uh, most of you, maybe you don't have such uh, pain in the past, but it's very common to project what pain you are going to have in the future. So you have, if you do the math, <laughs> you have the present pain, and you project, you project the future pain. Those who know mathematics, this is simple mathematics. <laughs> present pain plus future pain, what will happen? A lot. So now, what happened to me during the, uh, the, th- the three-month retreat, I was having my present pain, and I was looking at how many weeks we have left. <laughs> Back then, it was a three-month retreat, and I would say, yes, I have two months to go. And I would look at my leg. <laughs> wow, how am I going to... To look, uh, to, uh, to, uh, how am I going to go through this pain until December, whatever December 7th or what? It was painful. <laughs> when we add future pain with the present. But it's really interesting if we can look at pain in the present moment without any overlayers of past and future and we just look at, at it as it is. You need courage and you need effort and wisdom to do that, I know. But that's a practice. And of course, as I told you, get some nuggets of wisdom and mindfulness when you really want to really look at it in the present moment. And uh, of course, you need to look at it laser, point deeply, but also have a wide angle and maybe be aware of the sound and uh, spaciousness and all that, so that then you come to the pain when you are fresh. You know, don't observe pain, 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 pain. Yes, I have a right mental note. No way. It takes a lot of energy to observe pain. So you might want to look at the individual characteristics of pain in terms of elements. I've already t- given you some tips on that. I think I don't have to do that now. So end of pain, I mean, end of fear, of course, is courage, but let's go to 10 ways of, of working with uh, this kind of emotion. I'm going to draw, draw a lot from the discourses themselves uh, the, for foundation of mindfulness. And uh, there's another discourse which is called how to deal with destructive thoughts. That will make 10. You may not probably apply them in a way I'm going to give them to you. You can. I'm just giving you a toolbox. You can choose one by one. Depends on the situation, you know. And uh, the situation also will dif- will, will be different because sometimes situation is so fast and the. You cannot have time to scratch your head or, you know, maybe this tool on this tool. Just use whatever comes. I remember one time I had all these tools in a monastery in West Virginia. 
And I was meditating, meditating, meditating. It was my day off, and I meditated near my kuti, and in front I went out, sat out in front of my kuti, and I decided to go a little bit further in the woods. And I'm a person who has been talking about 10 ways of overcoming fear and all these kind of things. But I, was, I had challenges. When I was sitting on a piece of a log like this, there was a neighbor <coughs> who had dogs, and they used to keep on barking at night. So all the time I knew there are dogs next to the monastery. So I was sitting there meditation and meditation, and all of, a st- all of a sudden I saw a big dog, black dog. I said, wow, that's too big. <laughs> <laughs> then I did like this. It was a bear. In front of me. <laughs> I cannot remember any single t- ten ways of overcoming fear. <laughs> Before I know where I was, I was, I was on my kuti. <laughs> and kind of, it got scared actually also. And then I, that's when I remembered one technique, <laughs> sending meta, lavinka. And then, oh, may you be well, happy and peaceful. And then I had compassion because it got scared also. And it kept on going over there. And then I, I followed it a little bit, really, because that was my first time to see a bear in the wild. Most of the time I saw it in a zoo. Wow, I, I just, not too close, of course. But I was saying, may you be free from suffering. <laughs> I was walking. Actually, what really made me to know that it's a bear, the way it was throwing legs, it was just throwing legs like this. Dogs don't throw legs like this. I said, wow. Sophia can grip us very quickly that we may not really go through this list and know which one. But don't worry, it will come. It will come. Maybe when you are in a safe place, you can now call on what tool you can apply. As usual in Buddha's teaching, mindfulness is revered. That's the first technique. Right mindfulness. I want to qualify the word mindfulness because most of the time people think just be aware in a very non-judgmental way, but really it has to be right mindfulness. That means it has to have other factors of the Noble Eightfold Path, like right understanding, right thoughts, right efforts. So pay mindfulness efforts to understand, to use the same language my teacher uh, used. Mindfulness of the presence of fear and the absence of fear. Those are two things you need to do. Sometimes is present and sometimes is absent. The absence of fear, of course, is courage. Even when you feel you have courage, you need to be mindful of that. And with that mindfulness of absence of fear, you are going to experience gladness, joy, calmness, and happiness. But on the side of presence of fear, 
we need to know it internally. This, this is the discourse I'm following, actually, uh, faithfully, the, the full foundation of mindfulness discourse. It talks about be aware of uh, this mind state, like aversion. In this case, I'm, substitu- I'm, substitu- I'm substituting uh, aversion with fear. Uh, so internally, uh, meaning is within yourself sometime, externally. Others, when they have fear, you can really feel it. And then you become mindful of that and both. This is when you can pay attention to fear directly. You can even put a mental note, fearing, fearing. But of course, when a bear is in front of you, I don't know whether it's going to work. Fearing, fearing, (laughs) and it's getting closer to you. (laughs) Maybe... (laughs) You want to apply the meta I used by running very fast. That's my meta, actually. That was my meta practice. (laughs) Run as fast as your legs can take you. (laughs) And that's also an antidote, actually. But I'm talking about this fear and meditation, you know, fear, fear. You can just make whatever mental note. But the thing that you have to remember, it has to be directly to the emotion which is called fear. If it is too much, you have now to go indirectly. What is the effect? What, how does fear affect your body? Uh, of course, this is kind of biological response. Uh, when fear comes, the body becomes tight and tension blood circulating, and you can really feel the body. So go into your body and really get to know what fear is like. So first is directly fear, fear, fear. Then indirectly is what it, how it affects your body and how it affects your mind. What's the intensity of that fear? Is it just medium or high? And uh, you can also know uh, how long is lasting? Is it just a moment like this? Or is it staying the whole day? The whole day. Or is it just only for a short time? So these things is very imp- this information is very important for you because next time when fear visits you, you will know how it feels in the body, how it feels in the body. You know, you will know how it triggers these physical sensations. So that's something that you need to uh, understand. And how does it affect the mind? Well, when fear comes, sometimes there's confusion. You, get, you feel confused sometimes. Aversions also it can come. Yeah. That's another mental state. Aversion or anger rising. So this number one, all this is in number one approach, right mindfulness of the presence and absence of fear. Second, again following the discourse, is mindfulness of the conditions that led to the arising of fear. Of course, we have seen some of them, like craving, And was attention to craving or desire or attachment. That's uh, second noble truth. 
And that's the cause of our suffering also. So it's, we need to know those conditions for the arising of fear. And also the condition for the removal of fear. What are the conditions when the fear is removed? Or to, remo- to, to remove fear, you have to pay wise attention to courage. You have to be mindful. You have to understand. You have to really have, uh, apply effort. So in other words, this is a way how to remove fear. And other, in the discourse, the Buddha talks about knowing condition for the non-arising of fear. I'm substituting. You can say mental state. What are the conditions for fear not to arise forever? That means you get rid of fear for once and all, for good, when you reach third level of enlightenment. When you reach third level of enlightenment, you don't have to worry about fear. Why? Is because you've overcome aversion and greed, which fuels fear. So this is very important to know uh, as the, uh, in terms of conditions because uh, most of us, we have fear and we take it too personally. Yeah? I shouldn't have fear, you know. I'm a good yogi. Fear should not come. But you have not removed the conditions, you know. So really, before that then, uh, then we have to, slowly by slowly, uh, be mindful whenever fear arises. The third step, again, according to the discourse, is to know the impermanent nature of fear. In other words, is fear rising? Is it passing away? Or is it staying the same? Or is it rising and passing away? We need to know that. And of course, what's interesting, the discourse doesn't talk so much of actually what we should observe after that. But when you really look at the discourse, it's very clear when you observe impermanence. Impermanence, when we observe it, it's just like the, another side of the coin. So the non-self teachings or the impersonal nature of the experience is also this, another side of the coin. So in other words, once you see impermanence, uh, really non-self or the impersonal nature of your experience is on the other side, though you may not see it clearly, but it's on the other side. You cannot separate it. Because if things are changing, how can they be self, you know? <laughs> if the conditions, everything is coming due to causes and condition and they're changing, how can you think that it's personal, you know? <laughs> so impersonal nature of your experience is also the other side of the coin. So we need to know the third stage. That's the third step of seeing things as impermanent and nature. I gave a whole talk about this last time. Fourth step is the Buddha didn't use this word, but the way, let me tell you exactly, I mean, read exactly what he said. This is a mind state. You can now stay, uh, put fear in bracket. To the extent necessary for further mindfulness and awareness. In other words, when fear arises, can we use it instead of, I don't want fear, instead of saying, I don't want fear, can we say, oh, there is fear for further continuity of mindfulness and awareness? 
Next time, try it when fear arises. And just look at fear. Just as a state that is going to help you, if you pay mindfulness, to further your mindfulness practice and awareness. So this is a simple instruction, but the Buddha really is telling us to have some kind of equanimity and wisdom so that when fear arises, we are not freaking out. We are just looking at fear. Oh, this is helping me to further my practice for further mindfulness uh, and uh, awareness. So that's also another good step. But I would call it right attitude. Uh, The whole thing, I would summarize it as developing a, a wise attitude so that you are no longer struggling with fear. So in other words, you are you're not pushing it away, you're not indulging in it, you're not ignoring it, but you're understanding it. So that understanding is very, very important. So know thy fear. So we should really understand it. That's our proper attitude. But of course, in life, when we have scary stuff, the body, the weight response is fight, flight, or freeze. So that's a natural response of our body. That part I understand. But when it comes to our relationship with, with, with mental states like this, normally we tend to sometimes ignore them. I should go to something else. Or we kind of push them away and do something else. That stage is number four. Number five in the discourse that really is very, very interesting where the Buddha talks about non-clinging to the mind state. In this case, our, co- our talk is fear. So he's telling us to live independently, independently and not clinging on to anything in this world of five aggregates. What is the Buddha talking about to live independently? We see many discourses the Buddha talks about interdependence. But here is telling us to live independently. Here it means don't make fear your companion. Right? We have many companions. Greed is our companion. Hunger is our companion. Fear is our companion. So live independently and not clinging on to the fire to the world. In this case, not Uganda or USA. The world in Buddhism, we talk about the five aggregates uh, of clinging. So what really Buddha means here is not clinging on to this mind state as I, mine, and myself. Because I is conceit, and mine is craving. If you say, oh, this mind, my fear, is that's craving. And also self is, of course, wrong view. So the practice is not uh, really, actually, if you've been following these methods, um, uh, really slowly by slowly, they lead you towards that, non-clinging to I, uh, to the mind state, not I, not mine, not myself. This is easy to remember, not IMS, not IMS. <laughs> So that you should not say like that when fear comes, not IMS, not IMS, no. It's a practice that leads you to that, where you see that uh, this fear is not mine. You don't have copyrights, you know, to your fear. 
It's just a mind state. So, not I, not mine, and not self. That's the mindfulness part of it. The rest of the five ways is again following the discourse, but also you need mindfulness. But this is more direct to the experience. It's called Vitaka Santana Sutta. Vitaka Santana Sutta is a discourse on dealing with destructive thoughts. The Buddha there gave five ways of dealing with uh, your obsessive thoughts. We continue number six. Uh, now I'm touching another discourse. Actually, this part of uh, teaching relates to right effort. I think one of the teacher gave one. I think it was you. Yes, there's four kinds of efforts, but this pertains to the effort to overcome. Now we want to overcome. We've got all our nuggets of wisdom and fear, you know. We have wisdom. Hmm? Hmm? And now we want now to face it. Let us see how we can overcome fear. So here, number six is replacement or substitution method. We substitute fear with opposite. What's the opposite of fear? Is courage. So can we substitute it and have courage to face our fear? Courage is very important. I remember I was so afraid about swimming. And the reason why I'm af- I was afraid of swimming, it is because my cousin ne- nearly drowned. That was enough for me, not to go anywhere near water. And even my parents told, told us, they told us not to go anywhere near water to swim. But when I went <laughs> to the swimming pool, <laughs> I, I was sinking like this. I said, well, I might be drowning now. Like my cousin, I told the coach to start training in India, in Punjab University. There was a big swimming pool, so he trained me with a floater, and I really developed courage to face my fear of water. So courage is very important, but it has to be with mindfulness and wisdom. Because if you don't have mindfulness and you I want to have courage, then maybe you might open up so fast, you know. So it's good to have mindfulness so that you open softly and gradually to your experience. So that you... And actually the good news is that mindfulness uh, brings us to that age uh, where we can open, us, open softly in our experience of fear. We can open softly and have courage to face our fear. That helps. I think in modern times they call it exposure therapy. Exposure. They expose you to something that you are afraid. Maybe they learn Buddhism. I don't know. <laughs> yes. But of course they don't ex- expose you by, if you are afraid of snakes, you, they tell you to grab a snake. No, that's not what they do. <laughs> but actually if you are afraid of public speaking, they start asking you to give a little bit of talk in front of your colleague, you know. By the way, public speaking is really, really one of the most fearful things. I heard that even is most, most people fear public speaking than the people fearing death. It's just amazing. 
<laughs> for me, actually, I thought that uh, maybe English is my second language, and maybe I have reasons to, to be afraid to, uh, to speak. <laughs> but when I was in the monastery, I saw an American monk. He was a nervous wreck. He was so afraid of speaking. I said, ah, Bante, it's not because English is your second language. <laughs> it's the way how things are, <laughs> you know. But you get used to it. The more you do it, you, you get exposed. You, you do what you call exposure therapy. And now the more you do it, the more, the, the more you don't, you're not afraid, you know. Yeah, but even if you know English very well and you're not going to make a mistake in your pronunciation, but still there's a lot of fear. But why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? The first time I gave a talk, a Dhamma talk, was in front of my teacher, Bante Gunaratana. I don't know if you know him. He has written a book, Mindfulness in Plain English. He became a monk when he was 12 years and he has this kind of photographic memory. He knows the whole thing about Buddhism and he's from Sri Lanka. He knows everything about Dhamma. And here I am, I was training to become a monk. And then he, he told me, you know, I'm going to train you so that I, you can, I can send you to Brazil to teach my student. I'm no longer, I'm, I'm getting old. I'm going to train you. So he started training me how to give Dhamma talks. The first Dhamma talk, he was sitting there. I was sitting here. I said, what am I going to talk that he doesn't know? <laughs> I felt that he's going to judge me and, uh, and uh, maybe admonish me. And uh, Why didn't you speak wrong Dhamma? What? So the real, the fear I had is because <laughs> I felt that I'm not good enough, you know. But, of course, uh, he kept at it, you know, encouraging me, encouraging me. And, and there was, I was not having any fear. Actually, for me, how I overcome fear of public speaking, I was told, just look at people as your friends. Oh, you are eating dinner together. Maybe pizza together, dinner. <laughs> <laughs> when you're having dinner, do you get afraid? No. We're eating together, we're eating together, we're eating together, eating together. No, I see you, we're on a dinner table, you know. Share the Dhamma food. <laughs> Dhammoja, Dhamma food. No, you don't get afraid when you're on dinner table. So that helped a lot when I had to give a talk to, in Japan to over, I don't know, 10,000 people. <laughs> I looked at all these people like this. Anyway. Courage is very important. Uh, number seven, reflection method. You reflect. The danger, the defilement, degradation of, of emotion, fear. Fear is dangerous because it stops you from doing what you want to do, especially when it comes to phobias. <laughs> you can't do anything. <laughs> Recently, I saw a branch falling, and where I go to my heart, where I stay in a teacher's village, actually I passed through trees. I said, wow, 
this branch fell. What if it falls on me? We have about five teachers. We are, not, we are coming down to four now. <laughs> Is it four? Am I right? So now I decided to say, wow, maybe I should take this path. <laughs> and one of well, Kim told me, wow, there's a shortcut actually passes through Joseph in front of Joseph's house. And so I decided to take that path because I, I saw a branch falling in front of me like that. I said, wow, if I was the one walking there, you don't want that to happen. So then I said, wow, this fear is dangerous, actually, because I cannot walk anywhere. <laughs> because especially when it came to the loop, there's a place where they do- there are dogs. That place, there are trees, and there are- I keep on looking like this. There's old branches which are about to come down, actually. I say, no, this fear is not going to stop me from walking. Fear about branches. In fact, when I reach there, I just become a fear of old branches. Fear of old branches. <laughs> fear of old branches. It's just amazing how dangerous fear is. You can't do what you want to do because you're afraid, you know. So, again, you combine with courage, but also reflect on the danger. And also defilement, the more you give in fear, the more you allow fear to take over, the more your mind gets defiled. So in case, let's say 10% fear today, and then next time when fear arises, it's going to be stronger, stronger fear. So in other words, it reinforces uh, fear. So you reflect on defilement, on the degradation, how it degrades the mind, this reflection uh, is very, very important, uh, reflecting that, okay, fear is bringing suffering and, suffering and stress. It's like when you're driving your car and uh, you are speeding and all of a sudden you see a traffic police. Do you increase speed or reduce? Why do you increase or... <laughs> what do you do? Do you increase or reduce? I think you reduce. <laughs> Why do you reduce? Because you have reflected that you are going to get a ticket. So this kind of reflection helps you to say, wow, if I really continue on uh, indulging in my fear, uh, then I'm going to get a ticket of lack of peace of mind. You won't even move out of your house. I'm telling you, COVID actually turned things around. How much we are afraid really. I saw, of course, uh, we have to protect ourselves, but I saw a lot of people, a lot of people went overboard, really, too much fear, you know. But of course, we, uh, some kind of normal fear is understood to protect yourself, and that's awesome, to protect yourself. Okay, another method, number eight, is redirection method redirection method you redirect your mind when there's fear you bring back your mind to the breath you bring your mind back to the body you can bring your mind to the uh, sound uh, just be aware of sound actually the way this works is you're working with the biology of the body when there's fear there's tension so those who did a little bit of biology, maybe you remember a sympathetic nervous system where you're tensed. 
sympathetic nervous system. And once you really bring your mind, you take your mind somewhere else, you cross over to parasympathetic nervous system, whereby the body is relaxed and all that. So when the body is relaxed, then there's not much fear. So in fact, sometimes even in subside, uh, it's just like when you're talking with somebody, as you're talking, somebody say, can I talk to you? One minute, only one minute. Ah, no, 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 please, I'm busy talking. So please give me one minute. And you give them one minute, five minutes, and then the other person goes. And when you come back to the person whom you're talking with, you say, what we are talking about, by the way? I've forgotten. Sometimes even I tell people, forget about it. It will come next time. So uh, when you really allow yourself to move away from that emotion of fear and come back to the breath, to the body, fear loses momentum. It loses momentum. And now it's going to be workable. It's workable. Number nine, going to the root, the springboard. Where is this fear comes from? We are going to really look at it clearly. Where is it coming from? I've already given you a signal. I've already given you a signal that it comes from craving. And you can even go backwards. Where does craving come from? Actually, we can start like this. Okay, this is fear coming. Let me go to the root. Where is it coming from? Aversion. Pushing away what you don't want. Where is, does it come from? Craving. Where does it come from? Ignorance. Where does it come from? Paying unwise attention. Where does uh, paying unwise attention come from? Chicken and egg. Who came first? <laughs> is it uh, unwise attention? <laughs> is it craving? Or, so you don't have to go too far. You know? I think that helps a little bit to really go back and really find out what is the springboard? Finally, finally, number 10, the last one on the list. Actually, I told you I just give 10 today. Uh, last one is, in Pali we call it aditana, resolution. Make a strong resolve. Fear not to be your master. Don't be a slave to your fear. For me, as soon as I wake up, as soon as I wake up, I sit on my bed. Sometime before even I sit on my bed, I use this reflection actually uh, from His Holiness the Dalai Lama. A friend of mine from England sent me a card with the, the His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And he, he said that as soon as you wake up, reflect, reflect along these uh, lines. Reflect along this line like this. I'm grateful to be alive. I'm awake. I have a precious life. I'm not going to waste my time thinking about greed, hatred, delusion. So me, I put fear also there. I'm going to use all my energy to cultivate generosity, letting go, loving kindness, compassion, and courage. I'm going to use all my energy to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. 
actually, that's what the Dalama said, but for me, I say, including myself, so that I don't miss the boat. <laughs> I continue with my reflection. I'm going to benefit all beings. I'm going to do. Uh, I, I'm going to benefit uh, all all beings as much as I can. And after that, I'll just go wash my face, do other things. So that reflection had, has helped me a lot to make a strong resolve to set the stage for the day. How about set, setting the stage for the day with all the fear around the world, you know? In Uganda now, there's Ebola, then, uh, then COVID, and that, and that. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things to be afraid of, you know? You know? Leave alone our pain in the knee. Or, but every world... Now, I, I heard that people are worried about... Uh, this and that and that. In Uganda, people were so worried, I think, in 2010. People told them that, uh, I think their leader told them that the world is going to get to the end. The world is coming to the end. That's what they, they were told. And they gathered themselves in a church and set fire on the church. And 400 people died. <laughs> Talk about fear. <laughs> So there's a, lot of, oh, oh, there's a lot of things to be afraid of in the world. But for me, every day I set up the stage for the day. I'm going to have courage. May you have courage, wisdom, and mindfulness to be free from fear and get wisdom. Let us sit for a moment or two. beings be free from fear. Thank you very much. Fear. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.